Good evening, everybody. Glad to see you tonight at Grace Church on Wednesday night for Bible study. And uh, as always, I hate to interrupt conversation, but uh, we must move on, right? Uh, had a wonderful time in prayer last night. Had a wonderful, wonderful uh, representation of Grace Church at prayer last night, and I'm very thankful for that. And uh, it's great to see all of you here tonight. Very thankful you're here. And uh, thank you so very much for coming. Uh, Brother Dave will be uh, bringing us the word in just a moment. But before he comes, let me remind you of the things that are coming up uh, uh, at Grace Church and maybe a few other things. I would like to make all of you aware that uh, Mission Louisiana, uh, this is the pledges for the campground in Tioga. Uh, we have a category set up on Easy Tithe, and uh, so if you want to make a pledge via uh, our website, you're certainly welcome to do that. Uh, there's a tab that's been set up for that. Also, this coming Sunday is uh, it's our banquet, but it's also church Sunday morning, and I uh, wanted to see where y'all's mind was at if you're skipping over Sunday, going on to the banquet, and we can't do that just yet. So I have to wait till after church Sunday before you can move on to the banquet in your mind. So uh, remember service Sunday morning. But it is uh, Sunday evening is our banquet. We're looking forward to it. It will be held uh, at, the, at the same place we were last year at Forest Grove Plantation from 6 to 9. And uh, Brother David Becton will be our uh, guest. And um, it's going to be fun. Uh, I've heard a lot of good comments about Brother David Becton, and uh, we're going to really uh, have a lot of fun at our Christmas banquet. Food was, is always good, and uh, looking forward to it, so remember that from 6 to 9. Also, on Sunday, December the 17th is our, uh, our Christmas service. We're looking forward to that, and uh, it's going to be a great service, as they always are. And uh, also be prepared that Sunday. Uh, to give your uh, Christmas for Christ offering, and uh, God will certainly bless you for that. So remember these announcements, and uh, God bless you as Brother Dave comes to bring us the word of God tonight. Well, thank you, Pastor Murphy, and good evening, everybody. It is so good to see all of you in the house of the Lord today. I uh, appreciate Pastor so much, Pastor and Sister Murphy, their leadership, um, what they do for our church day in, day out, week in and week out, and I know you feel the same way. God bless the Murphys. Um, Pastor mentioned the um, the Christmas banquet, and, and Brother Becton, I'll, I'll share this with you quickly. I thought it was comical. I, I talked with Brother Becton on the phone Monday, just getting everything shored up for the weekend, and he said, well, you know this, uh, he called it a show, I believe. He said, the show I do, you know, it's comedy. And I was relieved to hear him say that because that's what we asked him to do. So I was glad he remembered that we want comedy and not, you know, uh, whatever the opposite of comedy is, tragedy, I guess. I don't know. But, uh, and he said, you know, he, he's been doing some version of, of, of this uh, presentation that he'll make. I'm trying not to give too much away. I want you to be surprised. But he's been doing some version versions of this particular presentation for, for since the 80s, something like 40 years. He said, over the years, he said, I've done presentations for pre-K kids, and he said, I've done presentations in nursing homes. 
he says, and, I, and everything in between, he said, there will be something for every age group in my presentation Sunday night. So come expecting to have a good time. He's going to really, really uh, be a blessing to us, and you will enjoy it. I promise you that. Before we go to the word of the Lord tonight, uh, I, uh, Pastor mentioned a little bit last night about our P7 Bible clubs that our students are doing, some of our students are doing in their schools. And I don't get tired of talking about it. I enjoy promoting it and giving you an update. And uh, we've talked a good bit about uh, Laney's Bible Club and, and uh, Braylon's Bible Club. I want to tell you, uh, Garrett Adams did get his launch this last Friday. And he's going to be giving us a firsthand update this coming Sunday in the worship service. But he had 26 students at his P7 Bible Club. And that is after school. Amen. Amen. That many kids, that many students stayed after school um, to, uh, to be part of that Bible class. And uh, he's got Aubrey and Olivia helping him understand. And uh, just there's several of our, our Grace Church students that are involved. But Garrett's taking the lead on that. He's going to be talking about that Sunday. And I'm just so proud of him. This is middle school. We've been, we've been talking about high school. Garrett's in middle school. And uh, I just think that is so commendable in the amount of courage that takes, the amount of anointing that takes is just commendable. And then another report I want to bring you very quickly, briefly, I'll make it short. Uh, somehow, I, I don't know how I missed to share this uh, because it's such fantastic testimony. But I mentioned to you at the beginning of the semester back in August or so that Allison Montgomery was part of the, or, or is it participating in Campus Ministry International at LSU. That's essentially the college version of P7 Bible Club. They call it Campus Ministry International on the college campus. Uh, and uh, just in October, just in, just a few weeks ago in October, um, they, they had, that, that week they had worked with a student in campus ministry meeting, in Bible study, and the student said, I was baptized in a particular way, but it wasn't in the name of Jesus. Do I need to be baptized again in the name of Jesus? And so they laid out the plan of salvation to this student that was during the week. That Friday night at the Section 2 rally uh, right up at Full Gospel uh, just this past October, this student was baptized in Jesus' name and came out of the water speaking in tongues to receive the Holy Ghost for the very first time. Amen. A direct result of campus ministry and a direct result of Allison's efforts along with some of the other students. And that young lady... As I understand it, attends an area church, an apostolic church in the area. So God's moving. God's working. I want you to understand, we talk about these things. Uh, there's things happening. And, and Pastor mentioned last night, there's a lot of new faces in our youth group of, of folks visiting and coming and hanging around. So help us pray. Help us pray. I believe there is a revival that is here. It has begun, and we're seeing it right now. Amen. As you turn to John chapter 3 tonight, I do want to say, as you turn to John chapter 3, a great big thank you to Casey and the media team. I don't know if we mention them often enough, but when I sent them my notes this week, I have a lot of content tonight. There is a lot that will be on the screen, a lot of content on the screen. And I thought how much I appreciate, especially Casey, the, the leader of that, but all the folks that are part of that. Thank you all so much for the time and the effort and the creativity that you put into making our messages, the, uh, the uh, ministry team's messages, come alive on the screen. So thank you publicly 
for that. John chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 1 through 7, but our key verse will be verse 5. And I, I don't know if you caught it, but Sunday, uh, Brother Chris Gonzalez ended his message at John chapter 3, verse 5. And when he did, I just said, thank you, Jesus. I'm going to take that as a confirmation because that is I was already planning to teach tonight from this passage. So we're just going to pick up tonight where Brother Chris Gonzalez left off on Sunday. We just continuity. Thank God for, for the spirit and for the continuity. But let's begin reading John chapter 3, verse 1, and we're going to highlight verse 5 when we get there. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that you do except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily. Now the New King James says assuredly. It's an emphatic. It's uh, rest assured without, without doubt. Jesus said, Assuredly, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time in his mother's womb and be born? Verse 5, Jesus tells him, No, we're not talking about natural birth here. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, assuredly, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus makes it extremely clear right here in verse 5 what he's talking about. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. Don't think it's strange. Don't, don't puzzle over that. You, you hear what I'm saying. You must be born again is what Jesus is saying. So, so from this, from John Chapter uh, 3, verse 5, I just want to speak to you tonight from this subject, born of the Spirit. Born of the Spirit. I'll talk a little bit about born of the water very briefly, but mostly tonight I want to focus on this, born of the Spirit. And I want to take my time tonight, and we're, gonna, we're just going to methodically go through a Bible study. I'm going to give you a lot of Scripture. I'm going to give you some Hebrew words and some Greek words, but we won't go too far in that direction. But I think if we can get, if the Lord will help me get where we're going here tonight, I think you'll be blessed by the Word of God. Amen. So most everyone here tonight has received the gift of the Holy Ghost, evidence in speaking of the tongues, other tongues. You've been born again of water and spirit, baptized in Jesus' name. If you're here tonight and you haven't been, you can be. I'm, I'm happy to say tonight that the Holy Ghost is still being poured out and and folks are still being baptized in Jesus' name. Just a couple of weeks ago, we baptized someone in the name of Jesus. And we're going to have another baptism this coming Sunday in the name of Jesus. It's still happening. And for those of us that have tasted of this heavenly gift, we know the value of being born again. We know what the, 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 the value of being born of the water and the spirit, the, the new life, the, the abundant life. That Jesus has given us through the new birth. We know how precious that is and how valuable that is. But believe it or not, as, as, as much as that is, is our DNA and as, as powerful as we know that experience is, to some, there are some that would say, there are some that would say, well, you know, that new birth thing, that, that being filled with the Spirit, well, it's, a, it's an option or it's a, it's a good idea. Or, or maybe they'll say it's just for some and not for others. And, 
and, and, and you'll hear sometimes people say things along those lines. Well, after tonight, uh, I think we'll, we'll wrap that up. But, but just for starters, I, I will say, why wouldn't you want to take on the name of Jesus? And why wouldn't you want to be filled with the Spirit? It's the greatest gift that you could receive. And then the other thing I would say about that is, is if it's a gift, and, and Peter on the day of Pentecost said it's the gift of the Holy Ghost, well, if you've got a gift for me, I want to receive it. You know, if you told me, uh, said, Dave, Brother Dave, come see me after church, I've got something for you, I'm going to find you, I'm going to seek you out, I want to see what you got for me. And in fact, Brother Tomlinson gave my illustration tonight, didn't even know it. He texted me before church, he said, I got something for you, uh, something he's written that he wants to share with me. Well, if he's taking the time to put that together and, and he thinks it's something that would add value to my life, well, I, I want to receive that. I want to look him up. So, so why wouldn't we receive a gift that God has for us? But, but from the beginning here tonight, let me just stress this, is that uh, we're going to see here tonight what I hope to show. I know I'm speaking to people that, for the most part, have received the Holy Ghost and baptized in Jesus' name. But what I want to show is that this is not just an optional experience. It's not a plan B that God had that he said, oh, you know, by the way, let, let me pull something out of my repertoire and, and just kind of throw it out there and see if anybody will latch on to it. It has always been God's idea to reconcile humanity back to himself through the infilling of the Spirit. And I'm going to show you tonight that that was his plan from the very beginning. Peter said we need to be ready to give an answer to anyone that asks of us the reason of the hope we have. So tonight, I want to show you that as awesome as the presence of God is in our life, and as much as we can testify that God is real and that the Holy Ghost experience is real, I want to say that since the fall, and especially even since creation, God's plan was not only to dwell with us, but He's always planned to dwell in us. And this new birth experience is the fulfillment of thousands of years of God's plan becoming real and being revealed to us in this dispensation of the church. So to get there, let's, let's very methodically work our way through and, and, uh, and take some time here and talk about a few things. First of all, I want to give you just a little bit of background on the book of John. We read tonight from John chapter 3. John is unique among the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John is unique among the Gospels. He gives us his reason for writing the Gospel. His reason wasn't really necessarily to record the life of Jesus as you have in the Synoptic Gospels. The Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, give us a synopsis of the life of Jesus. We see some of that in John, but that wasn't his purpose. John tells us his purpose. Actually, at the end of his book, in John chapter 30, verse 31, he tells us plainly, these are written, I've written these things, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. So very intentional, very, very strong purpose here uh, that we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, the Son of God, and that we experience what he has to offer us in terms of eternal life. It's interesting to note that John was more than likely a very noteworthy individual. He was probably from a family of means. He was probably from a family that had 
uh, some, some amount of wealth. Uh, there's a couple of things that tell us that or imply that. Mark chapter 1, verse 20, his father, Mark's father, had servants. So that would tend to indicate a family of wealth. Uh, John owned his own home, John 19, 27. And very interesting to me, I think it may be a study in and of itself. John 18 and 15, when, when Jesus went before the high priest during his trial, went into the temple court and all of that business, the high priest knew who John was. He recognized John. He knew John. He let John come in. So John was well-connected at some level, possibly because of his family connections. We don't know. But he was a connected person. One, one scholar said that John knew people. He was in the know. He was a man of influence. In addition, he wrote his book, John, the book of John, to Gentiles who had become or were in the process of becoming Christians. Specifically, he wrote to Greek churches that had been established in the 70 years since Jesus ascended. So we see then, if, if you go back, uh, if you were able, if I were able, and I'm not, I wish I was, to read the Gospel of John in the original Greek, uh, scholars tell us that it was written uh, in a Greek writing style, a Greek mode of thought, uh, a Hellenistic approach to those Hellenistic Greeks. I have a book in my library that's fascinating. The guy tries to make the case that John actually uh, modeled his gospel after the form of the Greek tragedies. Now, we have to be careful not to retrofit things and try to, to make things fit uh, where we want them to, but he certainly gives a lot of good food for thought. And his bottom line is this, is that where John took on the form in his writing of a Greek tragedy, he didn't end on tragedy, he ended on triumph and totally uh, met these Greeks where they were with their way of thought, with their way of literature, but turned it around and said, let me show you how Jesus is going to triumph over death in the end. Um, so John's gospel was written from Ephesus in, uh, sometime between A.D. 90 and, and A.D. 100. As I've mentioned, it differs greatly from the other gospels. And some scholars say at least 90% of John is unique. At least 90% of John is not found in the other gospels. So I say all that to say this. It is noteworthy then that John is the only one that gives us the, uh, the uh, re report and synopsis of this encounter of Jesus and Nicodemus. We find it only in John. And there is a lot here that John wants us to know, as we're going to see here tonight. There's a lot he wants us to reflect on in this passage. So, drilling down to John chapter 3, we just read Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. Um, Nicodemus, of course, was a religious ruler. He probably came at night because he didn't want to uh, be seen talking to Jesus. He feared the repercussions of his contemporaries. And I believe that Nicodemus's uh, questions for Jesus, the things he wanted to approach Jesus with, I think they went far beyond just simple questions of theology and simple questions of the law. Because if he had those questions, he could look them up in a book. He was a, he was a scholar. He was a religious leader. Uh, if, he, if, if he had questions he couldn't find in a book, he could have talked to his contemporaries. He could have he said, hey, let's meet and try to figure this out. The, the things Nicodemus wanted to know couldn't be found in a book. They couldn't be found in uh, just simple conversations with his colleagues. So he goes to Jesus, 
and he, and he asked Jesus, you know, who are you? And how do you do these miracles? And what is this all about? We know you're sent from God. This is, you're unique. There's something different about you, but we can't put our finger on it. And if you notice, Jesus doesn't answer the question. Jesus does not answer his question. He, Jesus just takes the conversation in a totally different direction. He goes in a completely different way. Nicodemus asks him the question, you're a rabbi, rabbi, you're sent from God. You know, no man can do what you do except God's sin. And Jesus says, hey, must ass- most assuredly, you must be born again. That was Jesus' answer. Most assuredly, you must be born of water and spirit. So he's taken Nicodemus somewhere. Nicodemus didn't even realize he needed to go. It did catch Nicodemus by surprise because he asked more questions. He didn't understand. He said, how can a person be born again in their mother's womb? How can an old person return to the state of a baby and, and be born again? And Jesus says, of course, I'm not talking about natural birth. I'm talking about a spiritual birth. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Jesus was saying that a spiritual birth, get this, get this, a spiritual birth, a rebirth, is an opportunity, an opportunity, listen, because this is going to set us up for where we're going, it's an opportunity to be recreated spiritually, recreated spiritually into the person God has always desired and designed us to be. God, Jesus wanted Nicodemus to know that Nicodemus and everyone, all of us, could have that experience. And as I've said, we can take that at face value and we can experience a new birth. We can be baptized in Jesus' name. We have, and it's still happening. God's still pouring out His Spirit. Thank God. But we can also dig deeper. As I mentioned, the, the Bible says be, be prepared to give a, a reason for the hope that you have. Be, be prepared to study it out and, and look at it closer. So tonight, Yes, thank God for the experience. You don't have to have a theology degree to, to, have, to have the experience. But, but let's just take a moment to go further. Let's just take a moment to go a little deeper and unpack what he means by being born of water and of spirit. I believe it will encourage your faith. So let's start here. I'm going to put it on the screen. I want to look at Eugene Peterson's translation of John chapter 3, verse 5. It's commonly called the message. Um, and translated, or I should say really paraphrased, from the Greek by Eugene Peterson. But he says something very interesting here that's going to set us up for our study. And I want you to see that on the screen. And I'm sorry, I'm battling a little bit of a head cold here tonight. Bear with me. Jesus said, you're not listening. That's that verily, verily part. Peterson, Peterson puts it like that. Hey, you're, you're not listening to me. Let me say it again. It's what Jesus told Nicodemus according to Peterson. Unless a, get this, unless a person submits to the original creation, the wind hovering over the water creation, the invisible moving the visible, a baptism into a new life, it's not possible to enter into the kingdom of God. So what is that all about? A a wind hovering over the water creation. What's going on? And Jesus says in this translation or this paraphrase, unless you submit to the original creation in a wind hovering over the water type of way. Well, what's that? What does that mean? Well, let, let's, let's look at it. So, again, as a, as a Jewish writer, John, writing to Greeks, but he was Jewish. 
he would have known very clearly, very clearly, the book of beginnings, Genesis, the creation story, how God created the world, how he created humanity, where it all got its start. John knows all about that, and John is extraordinarily diligent. He goes out of his way to put road markers and signposts in his writings that point us back to the book of Genesis. He does. In his first epistle, 1 John, he begins his epistle this way. He says, that which was from the beginning. He echoes the book of Genesis, which starts with the words, in the beginning. It's no coincidence then that John starts his gospel, which we read from tonight, with the same three words as the Genesis story. In the beginning. Genesis says, in the beginning, God created. John says, in the beginning was the word. He starts his account exactly like the book of Genesis. But there's more. He, um, he says uh, uh, there's more, there's more uh, uh, allusions to the book of Genesis and the book of John. Uh, he's very interested in light versus darkness. John chapter 1 verse 5, the light shines in darkness. And darkness comprehended it not. John three nineteen. this is the condemnation that light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Well, look at how that echoes the Genesis account. Genesis 1, 3 through 5. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light and the darkness. And the light, and the, a light he called day, and the darkness he called night. John echoes some of these same concepts, but of course in a spiritual sense. It's very clear John wants us to understand something about the Genesis account and the new, the new covenant that he's presenting that Jesus is setting up with us in the New Testament hinges on what happened back at creation. So again, let me read John 3 and 5 to you. Jesus said, except a man be born of water and of spirit. Peterson said a, 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 a wind hovering over the water's encounter with God. So in the Genesis account, Genesis chapter 1 verse 2, that John is, 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 is indicating we should go back to here. The Bible says the earth was without form and void and darkness. There's darkness again. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. And here we go. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So here we see in the very second verse of the Bible, Spirit and water. Already at the very beginning. Now, here we go. Stay with me. It's going to be on the screen to help you. I'm not a Greek and Hebrew scholar, but I can pretend to be with all the great software we have now for Bible study. So let's stay with me here. The word for spirit here, and it's capitalized in the King James, spirit of God moved upon the face of waters. This word is ruach. Ruach. I want you to look at what it means. It means wind. And it means breath, and it can also mean air, wind and breath. We see the Spirit of God working uh, in, the, in terms of wind and breath. Very important. Remember that. Now let's go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. After God created all the things, he creates humans, he creates Adam out of the dust of the ground. Genesis 2, 7, for man out of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. Now here, 
We have two different Hebrew words for breath and breathe, but they mean essentially the same thing as ruach. I'm putting them on the screen for you. Nopach means to blow or to puff, and neshama means, again, to puff. It can also mean wind. There you have it again. So to emphasize here, um, uh, in the original creation then, when God made humans, God puffed or blew the breath or wind of life into humanity. Are you with me? He, he puffed or he blew the wind or the breath of life into humans, and humans became living souls. So far, so good. But, of course, we know what happened, right? Adam and Eve ate of the, gar- of the fruit of the garden. Uh, they sinned against God, trespassed his commandments, and look what happened. Genesis 2.17, in the day you eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall die. They didn't die that day physically. It was a spiritual death. Romans 5.12, wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. So when sin entered the world, when death came to Adam and Eve, or when uh, sin came to Adam and Eve, it brought spiritual death. Where God had breathed into humans and they breathed into man and he became a living soul at the fall, at sin, uh, mankind uh, their soul became, the living soul became a dead soul is what I'm trying to say. At the fall, the living soul became the dead soul. You might say, you might say, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, it took God's breath away. But not forever. But not forever. God had a plan, and I'm showing you from the very beginning, to get his breath To get his spirit back into humanity. You know where I'm going with this. Amen. And so here, the scriptural clock begins a countdown through the long course of history to the time when once again, God, through an act of recreation, would breathe spiritual life into humans. And that's where we're going to end up here in just a moment. But first, let 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 me take a sidebar here and tell you, God gave hints along the way, all throughout the Old Testament, The prophets especially would get glimpses of what was coming, of God's great plan to get his breath, his spirit back into into humanity. He he, he hinted at it along the way, and he would would give his prophets especially insight into what's coming. And one emphatic example of that is found in Ezekiel chapter 37. This is where I thank the media team for for their content, because this is a long, long chapter. And I'm going to read it really fast, but I wanted it on the screens for you. So remember Ruach, the breath of God, the spirit of God that blew on the waters of creation. In this account that I'm about to read from Ezekiel chapter 37, every time you see the word breath and every time you see the word spirit, the word is Ruach. And it shows you how that word is used interchangeably. That's part of the reason I'm pointing this out. Spirit and breath of God used interchangeably, ruach. And I want you to show, I want to show you what God showed Ezekiel in Ezekiel 37. Look at verse 2, or verse 1 rather. The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit, the ruach of the Lord, and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones. Verse 2, and caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord, you know, O God, you know. 
Again, he said unto me, prophesy of the bones and say unto them, oh, you dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Ezekiel 37, 5, thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, behold, I will cause ruach, I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. And I will put sinews upon you and bring upon flesh and cover you with skin and put breath, ruach, in you and you shall live and you shall know I'm the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded and I prophesied and there was a noise and a shaking. Bones came together, bone upon bone. When I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came upon them and the skin covered them above and there was no ruach in them. There was no spirit in them. And then God, God, he said unto me, said unto Ezekiel, prophesy unto the wind, the, the ruach. Prophesy, son of man, say to the ruach, say, uh, thus saith the Lord, of, uh, the Lord God, come from the four winds, come from the four ruachs, O breath, O ruach, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet an exceeding great army. And he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. So he gives Ezekiel the interpretation. He tells him what he's up to. These bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves. And here it is in verse 14. And I will put my spirit in you. I will put my ruach in you. The same spirit that breathed upon the waters, that hovered on the waters in creation, will enter back into you and you will live. And I will place you in your own land and you shall know the Lord has spoken it, says the Lord. So God tells Ezekiel, prophesy to the ruach, the wind. And the wind came, the breath. And, uh, and it fell just uh, as Ezekiel prophesied. God was so kind to give Ezekiel the interpretation. He's saying the spirit, the breath of God that was active in creation and has gone missing since the fall. There will come a day that those that are dead spiritually, the spiritual equivalent of a valley of dry bones, the spiritual equivalent of something that is lifeless, without breath, without wind, without, without any kind of life force in them. Spiritually speaking, God is saying there is coming a day where I will breathe again my spirit. And that, in, uh, that spirit on the inside that is dead will be quickened back to life. And I will breathe again into my people, my spirit, and their souls will live again. Amen. Amen. And so... That gets us back to John chapter 3, verse 5. This is what John is pointing out, and this is what Jesus is trying to tell Nicodemus. Jesus, Jesus is saying this same thing. What I just got through demonstrating, that wind hovering over the water encounter, that same thing that happened at creation has to happen again, and here's how I'm going to do it. That's what Jesus was saying to Nicodemus. So note then... The Greek equivalent of the word for spirit, the Greek, the Greek equivalent of the uh, Hebrew word for spirit, ruach, the Greek equivalent is pneuma, pneuma. Guess what pneuma means? It means breath. 
It means air, breeze, wind. The same thing that we see in the Old Testament. So Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, assuredly, I say, Except a man be born of the water and of the pneuma. Except a man be born in, in such a way that God's breath breathes in him again. Except a man have the breeze of God's breath breathe on him again. He cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. So essentially what Jesus is saying here is that to be born again of the Spirit, to enter into the kingdom of God, you have to have the wind or breath of God breathe into you in exactly the same manner he breathed into Adam at creation, and Adam became a living soul. Where sin took the breath of God away, redemption the, the experience of the new birth filled with the Holy Ghost brings God's breath back into a life. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. It's not a physical recreation. It's not a physical rebirth. It's our spirit that's being recreated, made alive in the fullest sense by the breath and the breathing of His Spirit into our very souls. So there is a passage of Scripture also in John. Uh, I have found the, the reference extraordinarily puzzling all of my life. I've never understood it. I, didn't under, I don't even know why it was in the Bible. Like, why did John even include this in the Bible? Now I understand it. And now you're going to understand it. It's John chapter 20, verse 22. Jesus is hanging out with his disciples. And he says, uh, John records, when he said this, Jesus breathed on them and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Why would Jesus breathe on them and say, receive ye the Holy Ghost? That seems like odd behavior. You don't go around breathing on people. And, and what does his breathing, how is that even linked to the Holy Ghost? I never understood that until now. John says that Jesus breathed on him there. That word is not pneuma, but it's a similar word. It's emphusio. And guess what? It means puff or blow. Just like in the Genesis account when God blew or breathed life into Adam. Jesus Breathed, he blew or puffed uh, life, in, or said he was going to uh, bring life to his disciples once again. He breathed on them to state prophetically that in just a few short days they would be born again, and the breath of the Spirit of God would come to them through the infilling of the Holy Ghost. That's why he said, "Receive ye the Holy Ghost." The receiving of the Holy Ghost is the breath of God, the breath of life. Breathing life into our very souls. So Jesus giving them the promise. So you come through book of Genesis. He told Ezekiel it's coming. Jesus breathed on his disciples, said, get ready. And guess what? It happened. It happened. Acts chapter 2. Are you ready? You ready, Pentecostals? Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. This is what Jesus told them. 
said, it's coming. Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Go and tarry till the promise comes. Look at verse 2. Bible quizzers, you know this, right? Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing, mighty wind. Here the Greek word is noe, very similar to pneuma. And it means, guess what? Breath. It means wind. It is the same exact concept that we have been studying. So what it's saying here is that when the day of Pentecost was fully come, suddenly there came a sound of heaven from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, the breath of God that breathed out over the waters in creation, the breath of God signaling to Ezekiel that dead bones could live and he was going to be breathing new life. He made good on his promise on the day of Pentecost when that mighty rushing wind, the breath of God, filled all the house where they were sitting. And the good news is this. It didn't just fill the house. It fell and filled each and every one of them. Acts 2 and 4. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the pneuma, the Spirit, Gave them utterance. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. When they received the Holy Ghost, they were receiving that very same breath of God that breathed into Adam. But this time it wasn't in a physical act of creation. It was a spiritual act of recreation. The breath of God breathing. The wind of God blowing into the very lives of men and women. A new birth experience that recreated them by the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And as we testified at the beginning, it is still happening today it is Peter said it the promise is unto you and to your children and all those that are afar off even as many as the Lord our God shall call it's for every man woman boy and girl you can still receive the Holy Ghost God's breath is still breathing life into the dying decaying spirits of humanity he's still pouring out and blowing that breath into life Jesus told Nicodemus, he said, it's not a mystery. Don't mean for it to be hidden. Don't mean for it to be a mystery. He said, marvel not, marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. It is the logical, it is the fulfillment, it is the logical fulfillment of the plan God had in mind all along for restoring his spirit, his breath into humanity. So just before we conclude here tonight, and I'll let you go, it actually doesn't stop there. That's actually not the end of the story. Are you ready? Two more verses. Do you have to have the breath of God in your life? Do you have to have the Spirit of God in your life? Do you need Him to, to, to blow the wind of His creation into you spiritually? Well, Romans chapter 8 and 9. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the pneuma, the spirit. If so be that the pneuma of God dwell in you. If that breath of God has breathed in you, then you are in the pneuma. But if any man has not the pneuma of Christ, he is none of his. So I would say it's pretty important to have the Spirit. But he ends on an extraordinarily hopeful note, very positive note. 
Romans chapter 8, verse 11. Two verses later. But if, but if that pneuma, that breath of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his pneuma, by his breath that dwells also in you. It's the breath of God that's going to rapture you. It's the spirit of God, the wind of God. It's got to be alive in you to be go, to, to go in the rapture. If you're thankful for the Holy Ghost today, would you just stand and clap your hands to Jesus? Oh, I think I could run the aisles tonight, but I'll settle for a good hand clap unto Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I feel like the Apostle Paul, I feel like the Apostle Paul, he said, he just said it this way. He said, now thanks be to God for this unspeakable gift. I'm so thankful for this gift. That's kind of where we started tonight. I am thankful for the gift of the Holy Ghost, the breath of God working in my life. God bless you tonight, Grace Church. Aren't you thankful to be apostolic? I am. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God bless you tonight. Enjoy some fellowship before you go. And as Pastor said, don't forget the service on Sunday. We'll see you then. God bless you in Jesus' name.